Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, I'm going to start if, uh, uh, by reading in uh, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This will be our text for today. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Now, where we were in our last time, we see here that the time has come. It's reached the unbearable point for Moses' mother. The tension from worrying about the surprise searchings from the Egyptians, trying to keep baby Moses from making any noise. It's reached a point now where it's just unbearable. And that's what's behind these words in Exodus 2-3 when it says, she could no longer hide him. She has made this monumental decision now where it cannot go on any longer. And she has reached the point where she can no longer herself keep the baby. And so she makes an ark, and she, by placing Moses into this ark, this represents now the beginning of the rescue of Moses. And so just because Moses was born as a Jewish boy, he inherited a death sentence. From his birth, Moses was condemned to die. What was it like for Moses to be condemned to die from his death? What was it like? I was thinking about that. I said, what is it like to be a kid and to, be, and to have inherited a sentence of death? When Moses was born, his Jewish nationality passed on him. And those words, passed upon, passed on, passed upon, are the exact words used by Paul in the book of Romans to describe our inherited fatality. It says in Romans 5.12, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all, for that all have sinned just because we were born, just because they were born, just because Moses was born, all inherited a condemnation to die. And we inherited our condemnation to die. We inherited Adam's curse by one man. We were born under the condemnation of death 
and death passed upon us from Adam. We were all born with a death that was passed upon us from Adam. King David expressed inheriting this individual, his individual fatality in Psalm 51.5 when he said, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Simply because Moses was born as a Jewish boy in the year 1500 BC and in Egypt, it caused him to inherit this death sentence. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He came in to intervene, to break that fatality, that inherited fatality, by taking the fatality on himself and the reason for the fatality on himself so that he could release us from the prison of a dismal future of an eternity in hell. That's what he did the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're thinking here about Moses and the fact that he had this inherited fatality, condemnation to die when he was born. Now, looking at verse three, there are three very important words, which are the last words of the verse, and those are the words, the rivers brink, the rivers brink. Those words describe where the ark containing Moses was placed by Jochebed, his mother, in the river's brink. Those words also express to us the gloom of the situation. The river represented death. That's where the babies were drowned. That's where the other Jewish baby boys could be seen floating, face down, dead in the river. That river represented death. We can picture how that river represented a mouth of death for Jochebed, Moses' mother, about to consume her baby. And we could almost hear the cries of that river like a mouth of death crying for the life of one more Jewish baby boy. And that river had consumed into death so many Jewish boys and we can imagine how that river was never satisfied with the lives of the Jewish boys that it had already consumed. It wanted one more and one more and one more. And that river is very symbolic of hell. Hell is never satisfied with the lives that it has already consumed. Hell makes room. Hell enlarges itself for one more like that river. And that's how the Bible describes hell in Isaiah 5.14. It says, therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. That's Isaiah 5.14. That's like that river. It's like hell. It's enlarged itself and has opened its mouth without measure. It doesn't matter how many lives hell has consumed. Hell wants more. Hell makes room for more. As the verse says, hell enlarges herself. Hell makes room for one more. So many lives have gone into hell, and hell is not full yet. That verse says, hell opens her mouth without measure. So when the question is asked, isn't it enough? Isn't hell full Hasn't hell said it's enough souls that I have? I'm full. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 20, hell and destruction are never full. 
hell and destruction are never full. So the river's brink here in verse three represents and symbolizes hell and the opening of the mouth of death where it looks like Moses is about to be swallowed up by death. The river's brink of verse three, it represents the brink of death where it looks like Moses is gonna die there. The river's brink of verse three represents the brink of despair for Jochebed. So Moses on the brink of the river or Jochebed at the point of despair for her baby on the brink of the river that represents death. Now, it looked like Moses was about to die on the river's brink, but this was actually the place just before Moses was saved. And that's seen in verse three. Now if we freeze this picture, just freeze this picture in our minds, here's the picture of Moses on the river's brink, appearing like it's all over for Moses, but actually Moses was about to be saved. That's a picture, that picture there is a picture of us in our salvation. Like Moses, we were on the river's brink. The Holy Spirit had convicted us of our own sin and God's righteousness that we were so far from and of the devil's doom that we had followed him. And on the river's brink, at the point of our own despair, when we thought it was going to be curtains for us because we knew the truth of Romans 3.23. It was a personal truth for us. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we knew I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we knew the truth of Romans 6.23 where it says, for the wages of sin is death. We knew that we had coming to us the eternity of death and hell. And it was on our river's brink that like Moses, just like Moses, we were really at the point of just about to be saved. But it had to come to that. We had to be at the river's brink. We had to reach the point of our own despair before we could be saved. Now, we come to the ark of verse three, where it says about the ark. It says in verse three, she put the child therein. Those, the words of verse three, she put the child therein. That was, what did she put the child in? The ark. That was the ark that saved Moses. This ark was essential for Moses to be saved. Without an ark, Moses wasn't gonna be saved. Without this ark, Moses could not have been saved. The ark that Moses was laid in represents the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in that ark the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as the ark saved Moses from death, so the Lord Jesus Christ saves us from eternal death. Just as the ark was essential for Moses to be saved, so the Lord Jesus Christ is essential for us to be saved. That's what he said. In John 14, six, he said these words. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So looking at that scene of how baby Moses had only one hope, and it was in that, that ark, that ark, it gives us the picture 
of how our only hope to avoid hell, to gain heaven, to be saved is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Hebrew word here for ark is the word teva, teva. It's like the Israeli pharmaceutical company. It has the same name. The Israeli pharmaceutical company called Teva is the largest manufacturer of generic drugs. So it's very likely that when you get a prescription and you look on the bottle, you might see that it's made by the company Teva. Well, Teva is an Israeli company, and that's the word for Ark. So the next time you see that, you'll think of Ark. Now, the word Teva for Ark is the same word that's also used for Noah's Ark, Noah's Ark. And that again reminds us of how dependent Noah and his family and the animals were, for that sake, on the ark. Because without the ark, they weren't saved. So the picture of Noah and the picture of Moses with death and dying all around them, because remember, this is a river of death. That was a flood of death in Noah's day. This is a river Nile of death for the Jewish baby boys. And then so to float on that river is to ride above the death that's all around. And inside that ark, as in Noah's case, so in Moses' case, there was safety and there was security because they were inside the ark. That's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though people all around us are dying and following into a hell that's never full, even though that's happening, they're falling into hell for eternity, in the ark of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're safe from perishing because we're in the ark. Now, it says in verse three that Moses' mother took for him an ark. It doesn't say that his mother made for him an ark, but it says she took for him an ark. Where she got the ark from, we don't know, we're not told. But and what is interesting is that it says that she took an ark and she didn't make the ark. Now, here, taking the ark is symbolic of our simple act of taking what God has provided for our salvation. And it's not trying to make a case before God that we should be saved by what we have done and produced, especially by way of our good works. It says in Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, or put it this way, not by works of righteousness which we have made, but according to his mercy he saved us. You could put it that way for Jochebed, not by an ark which she had made, but according to mercy he saved us, according to it was provided to her, however she got it, we don't know. But we're saved by what he has done, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, and by us taking what God has provided to us by the salvation, we're not saved by what we have done. We are saved by what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross in his great work of atonement for us when he died for our sins. That's what it means in Ephesians 2.8 when it says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. The salvation is a gift of God. The Bible calls our salvation a gift of God. A gift is not made, a gift is received. That's why the Bible refers to us as receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 1, 12, 
but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's why it says in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That was an act of God. That was God who put to death the Lord Jesus Christ. That was God who made the sacrifice and the atonement when he sacrificed his own son, very much like a picture of Abraham about to sacrifice his son Isaac. It says that, Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Now the next part of Isaiah 53.10 speaks about what we do. The first part speaks about what God did. What we do is this, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. And it goes on to say, if you do that, then he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. But the emphasis of Isaiah 53 here is showing that it's a received gift. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our offering for sin. We accept him as God's sacrifice or offering for our sin. That's our part. Now, we see in verse three, the next part where it says, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch. Here was this little ark made of bulrush reeds that were likely woven together to make some sort of like a basket or a bassinet. And then it says that she daubed it or covered it with slime and pitch. That's some kind of a, like a resinous tar or a mixture of asphalt in order to make it waterproof. And that tar and that asphalt were very, very important because they made the ark not to sink. And we can just picture Jochebed, Moses' mother, daubing every part of that little basket. I mean, there she was, bless her heart, dabbing all the outside and then the inside and holding it up meticulously to the light to make sure that she had not missed any part, that it was all covered inside and out with this resinous tar kind of asphalt. And she knew that if she missed any part, that that ark might sink and her baby might drown. So we can imagine, we can see her just with all the diligence she was putting in to daubing every single part. She made sure that every part of that little ark was covered with the waterproofing tar because she knew that the life of her child depended on it. Now, we freeze that scene in our mind of Jacobin there and we go back and we think of how that tar that she was using there and her action of daubing it, but how that tar was like the Passover blood put over the door of the Jewish homes on the momentous night of Exodus 12 in which it says in Exodus 12, seven, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And then verse 13 of Exodus 12 says, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. 
And when I see the blood, God speaking, when I see the blood, I will pass over, I will Pesach, I will exempt, I will skip, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So God told them in that time, take of the blood and strike it on the two doorposts and on the upper doorpost of the houses. It was not enough, like the word dainu, enough, enough for us. It was not dainu. It was not enough for each household to just have a lamb. No more is it enough. It's not dainu. It's not enough for a person to attend a good Bible-preaching, gospel-proclaiming church. No more would it have been enough for Moses' mother to know how to waterproof the ark that her baby was going into. It was not even enough, it was not Dainu, for each household to have killed the lamb and collected the blood. No more would it have been enough for Moses' mother to simply have collected the waterproofing tar. No more was it enough, would it, is it enough for a person to know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to know God's plan of salvation, to know that he, God, the Lord Jesus, as the Son of God, became man as the Messiah so that he could die on the cross, which he did, the place of sacrifice for our sins. Just that knowledge alone is not enough. The collected blood from the killed lamb had to be applied to the two side posts, door side posts, and the door upper post. And there was one person in particular in each Jewish household who was intensely interested in making sure that the blood was correctly applied to the doorposts in the prescribed manner. And that person was not the father. And that person was not the mother. And it was not the sister. And it was not the second born. That person was the first born because he was the one who was in danger of dying if the blood was not applied in the prescribed way. And we can hear that firstborn son questioning intensely and diligently his father and saying, Abba, Father, are you sure that you put the blood on both the right and the left side post and on the upper doorpost? Are you sure, Abba, Father, are you sure? And we can picture that firstborn son opening the door and checking to make sure that the blood was applied to the, the right post, the left post, the upper post, just as God had prescribed for the blood to be applied. And Moses knew the importance of the applied tar, and that's why the word daub in this verse is so important in verse three, because this word daub, with this word daub, we can picture her putting her eyes so closely up to that ark and the sun behind it and looking for any daylight that might show through those tarred reeds because she knew even the slightest separation could be the slow leak that killed her baby. So as the time approached for the angel of death to come back in the Passover time, 
we can picture that firstborn son repeating to himself, God promised when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Those are not my words. Those are God's words. God promised. He said, when I see the blood, he said, I will pass over you. And he sat there. We can picture him sitting there and reciting those words over and over again. Moses, our faithful our faithful prophet from God, our faithful teacher, he told us, he said, rest in the assurance that God has promised when he sees the blood, I will pass over you. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051.